Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investments. With that, hello. Welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Chris DeMuth, a PM at Rangely, and with me, as always, is my co-host and fellow Rangely PM, Andrew Walker. It's Thursday, February 2nd, 2017. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about bearish billionaires Paul Singer and Ray Dalio before turning to bullish billionaire Warren. And Buffett, uh, Andrew, uh, uh, bad ombre, uh, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's start with the bad news. Uh, it seems more responsible. Uh, Bridgewater Ray Dalio has kind of soured on Donald Trump. He was somebody who had sounded open to him, positive in some ways, but um, has sounded more recently gloomy coming out of uh, Davos. Uh, talking about the nationalism, protectionism, and militarism, uh, and those increasing global tensions. Uh, George Soros has come out quite bearish too, although that's quite consistent with his opposition to Trump. And most interesting to me, Paul Singer, uh, more political allies in power uh, right now, but uh, sounds quite uh, kind of dark and concerned. So what do you think about all of that? Yeah, so look, I think George Soros is perfectly understandable for him to be bearish. Uh, Donald Trump was calling him out by name during the uh, presidential debate, so if I were him, I might be a, my worldview might be a little dark right now too. But you know, I, I think we talked about this on our year end podcast. I don't necessarily disagree with them. Not that I'm bearish, but I think there is rising volatility that the market isn't really addressing. You know. It seems political risk is everywhere. We're in these very uncertain times. Not that times are ever certain, but you know, uh, it, Australia is one of our biggest allies, and Donald Trump had that crazy phone call with them and stuff. Uh, I think one of the big things is right now Trump is doing. Ex- you know, the big thing among Trump supporters who were kind of scared Trump supporters where they were like, take him seriously, but not literally. When he says build a wall, he means smart immigration reform. You know, when he says uh, Muslim ban, he means that we're going to screen for terrorists tougher. And it, it turns out it might have been take him seriously and literally because we're getting the wall. We got the Muslim ban and you're seeing him focus more on these social nationalist policies like uh Ray Dalio is talking about versus kind of the the things everyone was hoping for, the big infrastructure spend, the tax reform. And everybody says tax reform and infrastructure spend are on the table, but it appears they've taken a back seat to the social stuff, if that makes sense. So it literally has in terms of the schedule. You know, we were just at yep. today looking through, and that's probably going to be uh, the good stuff, uh, kind of starting in the spring, maybe clarity around the summer, then could take, uh, you know, even into next year uh, in terms of the kind of uh, economic. Uh, economic reform ideas. It's interesting because volatility right now is extremely low, almost historically low. January so, was apparently like the lowest vol- one of the lowest volatility months ever on record, which it, it didn't feel like that living it, but it, it's just kind of crazy. And I feel like we're macro forecasters right now. But it's, yeah. it's almost the opposite of the colloquial understanding of what volatility means if you look at it uh, statistically the last month. I would say that if you listen carefully to this, though, the uh, highly... Uh, falsifiable, highly specific bearishness of I think I know the market's about to go straight down. I completely would separate myself from and I would always separate myself from thinking I know that. The the other side of it though is when these guys get interviewed, sometimes they say, uh, I'm really concerned 
we should be very careful or something like that. It's like, well, always. <laughs> I mean, some of the things careful. that I would either agree with never or I'd agree with always or we have to really stick to our knitting or we should stay within our core competency. It's just kind of, you know, now's the time to do that. Sure. And if you want to scare yourself by remembering why it's important, that's fine. Yeah, it's, kind it's of, always the case. It's kind of like companies spinning off non-core assets. Like winter companies, like we're going to buy some non-core assets today. <laughs> I, I always look back on that because sometimes it's the same bankers. You know, when was our slide deck? It's like, we really need to get bigger into non-core assets. Uh, <laughs> you know, so you printed out for me the, uh, the third point letter earlier. And there were some interesting lines in there that I thought really applied here you know one of the lines in their letter was we need to uh, avoiding the consensus is essential which again when is avoiding the consensus not essential but it seems right now the market after a really big stock market run the consensus is there is going to be tax reform there is going to be an infrastructure bill we are going to get reduced regulations the economy is going to pick up it seems that's the consensus and i i'm not saying again i'm not saying i'm bearish but i am saying you know being a little hesitant to not be in that consensus and think about what's the downside what if we don't get any of that i think that's uh really important really important right now uh another line in the in the third point letter was he said Donald Trump's, and I love this, he said Donald Trump's tweet and kind of his, you know, going off the cuffness, it's going to create both a lot of dislocations, both real and fake. And I I just love that idea of being able to take advantage of fake dislocations. You know, Mm -hmm. something where he says, hey, we're really going to push Boeing to cut costs or we're really going to push car manufacturers to bring jobs back to the U.S. And it, it causes everything to go down. And then the car manufacturers... They, they bring 500 jobs back in the U.S. and everything's gravy and it's a great outlook for them. Taking advantage of that first dislocation, the negative headline, I think that's going to be critical going forward. Uh, a century ago, economic nationalism was a bad idea. Now it's incoherent. If you look at pictures of auto parts, uh, airplane parts, I mean, it's just it not only is it international, but it crosses back and forth across the national borders several times in the supply chain. You know, what I've seen in the last week or two really has been a mixed bag, I particularly dislike a lot of the rhetoric. Even when something stumbles upon something I agree with, I tend to find it discussed in a very inflammatory way from the administration. I like a lot of the personnel picks, um, which is a mixed bag I can probably put up with. But when I listen to the Dalio and Singer concerns, they sound to me a lot like Bannon concerns, uh, which I think are valid. If you looked at just the image of the Oval Office on the Australian phone call, it was Bannon and Flynn and mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. And that was why I didn't vote for him. That was my concern. And, uh, you know, you boy, you're talking to a close ally with an ideologically simpatio prime minister who was an investment banker. If there ever was a time to have a friendly conversation, I mean, so this kind of Kind of kind of bombast was 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 strange. Um, I think uh, ultimately, I think the best compromise is Peter Thiel's. I hope for the best, but get a New Zealand passport. I, I think I've never been, but I think going to New Zealand, uh, just from what I know about uh, Lord of the Rings, the images, it always seems like a good thing. Uh, I just want to hit on one more thing: the the market cautiousness you talked about. You know, I think one of the things is we always say, "Hey, we're not calling for a stock market crash or something," but market valuations are high right now. I think that's time for cautious. I think the thing is, the higher markets go, it doesn't become that there's going to be, it's more likely there's going to be a crash. It becomes, it's more likely that there's going to be lower returns going forward. Mm -hmm. So I just think we've got high markets right now, high valuations and very low interest rates. Market returns are probably lower going forward given the combination of those two. And I do think you have to be worried about 
What if interest rates tick up quickly, which interest rates serve as financial gravity? I just, I'm saying be cautious, you know? So I, I, that's my I, last thoughts here. I, I don't know if he's a billionaire. Is, uh, is, is Kyle Bass a billionaire? Probably not, not quite I don't a billionaire, know. but I, I, I just don't know. So apologies if I've insulted you by claiming you're not a billionaire, if you are, or vice versa, <laughs> whichever's worse. But uh, he was saying, uh, 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 successful investor Kyle Bass, um, was, was looking at the kind of the mix of the policy and at least saying, it is probably going to be highly, uh, it could be inflationary, but um, that this is going to uh, be highly stimulative. Uh, and I think that I, I would like, I would like to think that it could be good for growth. That's probably one of my big hopes. I think that there are very few problems that we can solve about the long-term imbalances with the government at low growth. There are very few problems we have at high growth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is a huge problem solver. I just want to point out one big concern that I have, and I'm going to throw this out and then we're going to transition to a new topic, which is there is a combination that can cast ugly aspersions on deregulation, one of my favorite issues, when the left, broadly defined, regulates and subsidizes, and then the right comes back in to deregulate and remove subsidies, but that the influence groups keep the subsidies. And I think yeah. that if you look back at the SNL crisis, in my mind, that was a subsidy crisis, not a deregulation crisis. You say, hey, uh, here's limited things you can do, but if anything goes wrong, we'll give you free money. And then they subsequently said, oh no, you can do whatever you want, but we'll give you free money if anything yeah. goes wrong. It's a toxic combination. I could see that very much slipping back in. Uh, higher ed is one of the areas where I really foresee that, uh, where there's tons and tons of money. Uh, and I can promise you the left will describe that as a for-profit scandal. I would say it's a subsidy harvesting scandal, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it is a combination that could be very dangerous. I could see that in student lending, for example, being a big problem. Perfect. Um, on to Buffett. Yeah, let's go. Um, so uh, a, a, a cheerful, optimistic uh, Buffett putting money to work, $12 billion since Election Day, which is a lot even for uh, even for Berkshire Hathaway. It's a big pickup from the first three quarters in which he bought about $5 billion, I guess, for Buffett. You could say only $5 billion, selling $20 billion uh, of stocks, uh, so net negative, clearly. The previous year, he bought only about $10 billion, so he's putting capital to work and my understanding from listening to him describe it, it is him i mean he's he's doing yeah. it himself uh todd and ted are working but uh warren is kicking too so what do you think about that yeah like, warren buffett i i don't think he does anything macro i think he does it micro and i think he does that despite the fact that he's probably between the railroads and all the businesses that he runs he's probably got the best macro data of anyone in the world Bar none, and I include even even probably the Fed in that. I mean, he's just got incredible macro data. But you know, I think if Warren Buffett goes out and he says, "Hey, I've bought," I think this was an interview yesterday where he said, "I've bought twelve billion of stocks since the election." It's tough to look at that and say it's not a somewhat macro call on. He's a little bit excited for. You know, he's already said he supports uh, Trump's cabinet picks, and I think it's hard to say he's pro- he's not a little bit excited for the unlocking of America's potential if we get lower regulations, lower taxes, all of this stuff that Donald Trump's implied. Uh, Buffett's always had his finger a little bit on the pulse of America, despite the fact he clearly supported Hillary for president and thought she was going to win. Uh, but he's always had his finger on the politics of America, and it gives you a little confidence in where the Trump regime's going if Buffett's fingers are saying, hey, it's going towards a higher growth place where I want to be more invested in stocks. 
You know, a lot of uh, CEOs of big companies have, from time to time, uh, inside information. He's probably the only one who really has inside information into the U.S. economy as a whole, I mean, across across their businesses. Um, I think he's an interesting one right now. Buffett is a master at avoiding anchoring. Uh, you know, that he was very willing and saw no paradox in being completely opposed to Trump, uh, bullish anyways, and, uh, you know, comfortable with the people involved. Right now. It's an interesting divergence. George Soros, we mentioned him earlier. He's very bearish and it's very Trump related. He was he's a he was a huge Hillary Clinton supporter. Trump's elected. He's hugely bearish. I think we've talked in the past about people who went really bearish when Trump got elected. And in this case. Buffett was not a Trump supporter at all. Big Hillary Clinton supporter. He even said, Trump, I'll release my taxes if you release yours. Trump gets elected. And you know what? Buffett's willing to say, hey, I was wrong, whatever. I'm more bullish. The outlook's more bullish. Emotional neutral. I, I think it's a great example. He's been getting out there a lot. He just this past week spoke at Columbia, was interviewed by Charlie Rose. He had a recent documentary out, which I watched and for anybody interested on uh, wrote critically about. Um, one of the most interesting scenes, though, that I was just going to mention was a hostile move against the Berkshire management themselves uh, that uh, ended up in his control of the uh, the company after he wound down Berkshire Partners. And uh, I think what's interesting about this is a couple things I just wanted to mention. Uh, one, it happened to have been within a week of his father's death, who he's very, very attached to. And he said kind of let go that he wouldn't have otherwise done it. And this was something that he, I think in hindsight, seemed uh, torn about. He's he's very explicit about not doing anything hostile and he just repeats it more constantly than would be necessary for Buck, Burford, Buck Berkshire uh, watchers who would know about this uh, as if that there's a little bit of a reaction to that. But I think that that moment was so rare for him because there was really this anchoring bias. Well, so I've got two things. So A, on the hostility, I think we have to remember this was back in the early 60s sure. and, or mid 60s at that point. But Buffett in the early 60s was hostile and he developed this no going hostile thing starting in the 70s and especially with I believe the Washington Post and promising yep. Catherine Graham hey you can vote my stock uh, he really developed that later when he uh, I think he had a couple of they were successful but it caused him a lot more angst than he thought uh, activist campaigns and he was just like why am I wasting time doing that screw it I'm not going to go hostile and he's really cultivated that so I think this was a little bit before his no hostile thing but uh, I, I just want to make sure I don't know if we gave all the details on the tender offer what happened was uh, he owned a lot of Berkshire Hathaway stock mm-hmm. he talked to management and management offered to buy do a big tender offer to buy back shares at 1150 his dad passed away and then the next week uh, the management offered to buy back a bunch of shares at 1125 and you were saying he was kind of on tilt and emotional and he was like screw those guys they could they cheat me off a quarter they think they can do this I'm gonna buy up that whole company and fire their butt so that was kind of the but it is interesting right sometimes you see you see things in the market and you're like Oh, what are they thinking? And my my first instinct is always, oh, they're doing something logical. I just don't know what they're doing. It's logical, rational. I just don't have all the information they do. And this is an example right here of maybe the most logical and rational thinker we've ever had in the investing world. Something bad happened. He was emotional. And he was just like, screw logic, screw ration. I'm going to go out and hit someone. So mm-hmm. I thought it's a great example of that. He, he, I, I think he's one of the least mean people out there but I think boy he really can lash out he saw it as a betrayal which also is fascinating data point uh, as information flows at the time were very different than they were now I mean this was a private undisclosed conversation between management and him about a future 
tender that he had to come up with the price for, and then they moved it. There, my understanding also, there was not an explicit promise. They asked him what he wanted, and they did less than that. And yeah. this, was, uh, this was given a very strong uh, reaction. So, uh, Why don't we wrap uh, up there? Yeah, I think that's uh, Buffett uh, and billionaires, bearish and bullish. Uh, I, all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, please Email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com, especially because... Yeah, especially while you're there, we're trying to get a mailbag episode for next week. We've had one or two submissions so far, but if you email us mailbag questions, you know, if we get enough we like, we're going to do a mailbag episode. So hit us uh, hit us up at podcast at rangelycapital.com, as Chris said. I'm along a bit of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Andrew, anything? Do you have anything to disclose? The only disclosures I have is we said last week or two weeks ago, we were right. Like, no Trump, no Buffett for a while. And then we came out and we were just all Trump, all Buffett. So my disclosure is that we are liars, we are cheats, we are crooks, and we should not be listened to by anyone. I would say that consistency might be a virtue, but it is the lowliest, most pitiful of virtues. <laughs> if you are wrong and become right, that should be celebrated. And people love unmasking and consistency. People feel so smart about that, but uh, there are more important things to worry about. That's all for today.